Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Last Sunday, we preached a message that we entitled 2020 Vision, A Three-Dimensional View. We took you to Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, where Joshua was standing on the hilltop overlooking Jericho and, and the land of Canaan, getting ready to invade and take possession of what God had promised the nation of Israel when he encountered the captain of the Lord's host. Now, Joshua is a get-it-done kind of guy. He's a fighter. He's such a fighter that when he walked up on this angel that was the captain of the Lord's host, so we know this was a theophany, which is a physical manifestation of God. When he walked up on this angel, he drew his sword and he challenged him. He said, are you with us or are you with them? He's ready to fight God. He's going to pick a fight right there and there. He'll throw down on you. Joshua is a fighter. He'll get up in your face real quick. He got up in the face of God and God had to talk that boy down and back him off. That's the kind of guy he was, a fighter, a fighter. But he stood there and God reminded him of three things. Number one, he says, I want you to remember the promises that I made to Israel. I want you to remember that you're going to have to step in here and, and you're going to have to bring about the fulfillment of those promises. And so I need you to be, say be. be. I need you to be that present reality between the promise and its fulfillment. I need you to pick up a sword, son, and I need you to go to fight. You got to take up the promises of God and you have to fight with those promises. So Joshua's view of the promised land was three-dimensional, past, present, and future. That past prophecy, that present alignment and future fulfillment. And remember, you have to bring yourself an alignment with God's promises. If God promises you something, then you have to align yourself and you have to position yourself and posture yourself bringing yourself into agreement with God's promise so that you can be the bridge between the promise and its fulfillment. Amen? Three-dimensional. Philippians 3, Paul said, oh, all of us then who are mature, and it's time for the mature sons of God. You've got to get that one. From last Sunday and this Sunday, it's time for the mature sons of God. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to be. We've read a lot. We've studied a lot. We've gone to a lot of conferences. We've, we've done a lot, but it's time to be. It's time to be, to step in and be that present reality. So all who are mature should take such a view of things. You've got to take such a view. You've got to take on a three-dimensional view of your life. What has God promised me? Where, is, where, where am I headed? Where's the, the fulfillments in front of me? So I need to be that present reality. I need to be and bring myself into alignment with God's promises. And this is what the mature do. This is what they take. They take such a view. They decide I'm going to take responsibility for my life and I'm going to quit waiting on somebody else to make it happen. You got to take responsibility for your life. This is what the mature do. They take. So understand that you, like Joshua, play a role in the unfolding storyline of God's kingdom and it's time for you to be, fill in the blank, be the husband, be the wife, be the parent, be be the Christian, be the man of God, be the employer, be the employee, be the, the, uh, uh, the teacher in church, be the worker in church, be whatever it is you need to be, it's time to be. It's just time to be. It's time to quit talking about it. It's time to quit dreaming about it. And it's time to be. It's time to live up to his prophetic promises. Philippians 3 that we just saw, he said in verse 16, only let us live up to Live, live up to what we've already attained. 
How many believes that God has prophetic promises, he's got promises in his word that he has deposited in your account and you have to make a withdrawal? You've already attained it, it's sitting there, he's given you He's given you the ATM card. He's given you the code. He's waiting for you to make a withdrawal on that which he has deposited in your account. And so you have to know that, that it is there. He said, now live up to what you've already attained. Live up to what he's already promised you. We have to live up to it. Say live up to it. Today's scripture is 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight and fight well. Let's title this 2020 Vision, A Three-Dimensional View, Part Two. Father, bless the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, invade this moment. May there come forth a trumpet, a clarion call to the people of God. Today, we come to mobilize the troops, to call them to attention, to call them into battle, Father, I'm asking you today by your Holy Spirit, it's time to draft the saints. It's time for them to be. It's time to mobilize. Speak to us, grace this moment. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said amen. Amen. Let's talk about mobilizing the troops just for a moment. There's been a prophetic word released in our church. I mentioned it to you last Sunday in a text. I sent it to you after the service because I realized that it was so important that you hear that word last Sunday. On January the 24th, while Suzanne and I were in Africa, Amy texted me a a word and said, listen, I've got a word for you. I'll give it to you when you get back, but it involves mobilizing. And so I read it and just moved on and forgot all about it, to be honest with you. And then I know last or Sunday, two weeks ago, Hannah Geralds released a word uh, and it was the word mobilize. And then last Sunday on the the 9th, I was here in pre-service prayer. And let me say to you guys, you need to come to pre-service prayer. If you're not, you're missing it. It's in the chapel. And I assure you, you won't be disappointed. Pre-service prayer is powerful. And it helps to set the atmosphere and the tone for this service. But while I was in pre-service prayer, I was walking back and forth on on the platform. And Holy Spirit dropped the word in my spirit, mobilized the people today. Now, I promise you, I forgot all about Amy. I did not know that Hannah had released that word. And so I came into the service and I just failed to to give it to you. And that's why I texted to you that afternoon because I felt it so vital. Right now, as your pastor, listen to me. The word for this church, for this season that we're in right now is mobilize. Yesterday was a time to mobilize the troops. It was a time to equip and to raise up leaders in our church. The word mobilize and the dictionary means to put in a state of readiness for active service, to use one's energies for action, readiness. Now that tells me, and you got to pay attention in God's kingdom. If God says the word is mobilize, and if that means to put into a state of readiness, that means he knows something that we don't, that God understands something's coming. I believe, I'm suspicious that this year is a year of shift and transition in the kingdom. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's coming. But God would never mobilize his troops if there wasn't a reason and a purpose for that. Mobilize. It's been said that the successful expansion of any movement is in direct proportion to its ability to mobilize and involve its membership. Our expansion as a church is in direct proportion to our ability to mobilize you, to involve you in what God is doing right now. 
Now, here are two things that we need to, we need to consider. As a pastor, this is what I fight. The managing of plans and programs means that we're an organization. And it's so easy to do that, to manage plans and programs. I become an administrator. But that's not the answer. We're not here to manage plans and programs. We're here to mobilize people. And by mobilizing people, we're not an organization then, we're an organism. And that's what the body is. The church is a body, a living body. And each person has their place and never underestimate the power of placement. When the right man gets in the right place, power is released. And so you need to know that. Find your seat, find your place in the church and begin to involve yourself in what God's doing in this hour. We have to mobilize the people, a state of readiness for what's coming. When the move of God comes, whatever that is, whenever that is, I don't wanna miss it. If you wait till then, you'll miss it. You gotta get ready now. Israel missed the, the day of their visitation. You gotta get ready now. I wanna be ready when God moves. I wanna be that man or that woman that's ready. To, I'm already in a state of readiness. And so you have to understand that we're not an organization, we're an organism. We move and breathe and, and the world looks at us and they see a representation of who Christ is. We are the bride of Christ. We are his body. They look at us and they see him. And so you have to understand that we're here to mobilize people. Micah 5.1 reads, marshal your troops now. It's talking about the coming Messiah. Marshal your troops now. City of troops, speaking of Jerusalem, for a siege is laid against us. He's talking about the coming day of Christ. And we're in that dispensation of Christ, the dispensation of grace. And it's time for us to marshal the troops because the city is under siege. How many believes that darkness is pressing in? Listen, it's everywhere. It's everywhere you go now. It's pressing in. The darkness is pressing in. And we have to see that. And it's time to marshal the troops because the city is under siege. So let me give you three things real quick here about mobilizing the troops. Number one, outward mobilization begins with inward motivation. Before I can mobilize you outward, I gotta motivate you inward. It, it comes from motivation. Now, now motivation in the dictionary means forces determining behavior. So for you to be motivated, there has to be a force that determines your behavior. Before you can be mobilized outwardly, you must be motivated inwardly. And so there, there's a force that motivates you. So as a pastor, it begs the question, how do I motivate my people? Now, Philippians chapter one, verse 16 says, one group is motiva motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. Paul said that they were motivated by just pure love. That's all it is, just pure love. Now, this word love in the Greek, of course, is the word agape. We call it charity or we call it God love. It's not, it's not, uh, uh, it's not uh, uh, phileo, like that friendly love, uh, friend to a friend, eronos, uh, uh, romantic love, but it's agape. It's that God love. It's benevolence. It's charity. It's feeling for people the way God does. It's the God love. And these people were motivated by pure God love. So you have to understand that the mobilization of God's people begins with motivation fueled by love. And I, I can't say it any other way to you this morning. 
I can't motivate you any other way except by pure love. That's the greatest motivation that you can have. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus saw the crowd, the multitude, and he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep that were harassed, sheep that had no shepherd. That's the greatest motivation on planet earth. You have to allow Holy Spirit to pour agape love into your heart. You have to be motivated by pure love. There's no other greater force than pure love to care for people, to care for this community, to care for this world, and to be motivated by that. Everything else will fizzle over time. You have to be motivated by pure love. I pray today, Holy Spirit, will pour out the love of God into your hearts that you would be so overwhelmed by it that you can't help yourself. Motivated by love. If you're not motivated right now to, to be involved in what God's doing, if you're not concerned about what you see happening on the news, if you're not motivated to reach your city, if you're not motivated to reach your family, you need to take inventory. You need to pause for a moment and you need to ask yourself the question, where is my love? And you need to find it. And you need to let Holy Spirit pour out the love of God into your heart till you're overwhelmed with it, to where you are like God, for God so loved the world that he couldn't help himself. He gave everything he had. The first thing you need to know today is motivation is a motivation of love. Number two, mobilization is not manipulation. And this is primarily for me and, and the leaders of the church. To mobilize the people doesn't mean we manipulate them. To manipulate means skillfully manage, direct, or control a person to achieve selfish purposes. Now, let me tell you how we manipulate people in our churches. Three ways. This is the way we control them. Number one, we push them with fear, push them with fear. Number two, we pull them with guilt. And number three, we persuade them with reward. Push them with fear, God's gonna get you if you don't. Pull them with guilt, I can't believe you're not. Or we persuade them with reward. If you'll do this, God's gonna bless you. We appeal to the greed in America. It's persuade with reward. But I'm here this morning to tell you that I am not gonna manipulate you. I'm not gonna do that. Motivate you, yes. Motivate you with the love of God that brings you to a place where you can't help yourself. Motivate, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us. The word compel means arrest as a prisoner of a strait to press into a narrow way. The experience of God's love leaves you with only one response. Concerning people, I can't help myself. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. How many would rise up and fight for your children? How many would rise up in a heartbeat and fight for your grandchildren? Come on, guys. How many? Think about it. You mess with my babies, I'll fight you. I'll fight you. I'll come at you. I'll climb over a table and I'll get all up in your Kool-Aid. I'll do it in a heartbeat. I've threatened men before because they said things in front of my wife. I've chased them down, got out of the car and said, you're going to apologize to my wife. I'm going to knock your head off. I'll get you. I'll fight you for my family. 
I'll fight you. And you religious people that got a problem with that, I am so sorry. Pray for me. I'm in the work of salvation. I'm trying to work this out. But I'll fight you. Fight you for my babies. Fight you for my family. Fight you. Some men broke in my house one day. I called them. I grabbed a gun and went after them. I'll fight you. Fight you for what's mine. This is my stuff. You go get your stuff. Get off your lazy, lazy couch and go get a job. And you buy your own stuff. I'll fight you. Listen, you got to understand that we're here as the people of God. And we should be compelled by love compelled by love. There has to be a compelling. We have to be like God and say, I can't help myself for I so love the world that I'll give everything that I've got. Concerning people, it should be, I can't help myself. I understand the place of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I understand that there's a sense of responsibility that we all have. And I understand that there are rewards and blessings that come from God. I get all of that. But that can't be our primary motivation. It can't be fear. It can't be guilt. It can't be reward. It has to be simply, I can't help myself. Because that's what will hold you steady. Paul said, I am compelled by the love of Christ. I am compelled compelled. I'm a prisoner. He said, I'm a prisoner. He said, I'm in a straight. I'm in a narrow place. I, I can't turn to the left. I can't turn to the right. I'm compelled by the love of God. That's the kind of motivation that will change a world. That's the kind of motivation that will cause people to drop everything they have and go on the mission field to reach a people that they don't even know. Think about it. Compelled by love. Wow. This is the motivation. I'm so tired of trying to manipulate people. I'm so tired. Begging, pleading. I'm so tired. I want to move people with passion. I want to move people with compassion. I want to move people with the love of God. I want people to get baptized. I pray that Holy Spirit would dump a bucket of just the love of God upon this church where people just can't help themselves. Volunteer, I have no choice. Serve, got no choice. Get involved, what choice is there? I have no choice. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price and I am compelled by love. Mobilization is not manipulation. Number three, kingdom mobilization is command driven. Ah, uh, this is, this is, this is, you gotta get this one. It's command driven. It's command. Listen, John 5, 19. So Jesus said, I speak to you timeless truth. The son is not able to do anything from himself or through my own initiative. I only do the works that I see the father doing for the son does the same works as his father. Jesus ministry. Now you're not going to like this one. Hold on. Everybody take a deep breath. Hold. Jesus ministry was not need oriented. It was command-driven. An example of this is the Pool of Bethesda. He goes to the Pool of Bethesda, and the Bible says there was all kinds of people around that pool, but there was only one man he healed. One. The Bible does not record any other healings taking place. Jesus' ministry was not need-oriented. It was command-driven. He said, I only do what my Father tells me to do. He went to the Pool of Bethesda. He healed one man and walked away. We say Jesus healed everybody. He didn't heal everybody. Jesus healed one man. He was under command. He was under command. He wasn't need-oriented driven. Need, need. It was command-driven. That's so important for us 
as the people of God. You've got to understand that. See, when you live under command, are you ready for this? Now, here's, here's come, I gave you the medicine, now here comes the sugar. Now, here, here's the part that helps. Living under command, number one, ministry is directed by God and not man. That, oh, that's, that's so sad. <laughs> ministry is directed by God and not by man. If you're need-oriented, you're gonna burn out and burn out real fast because everybody is gonna have a calling for you. Do you know how many times people call me to something? People always want me to fix something in the city. Listen, you can't be need-oriented. You gotta be command-driven. Ministry should come from God, not from man. Number two, not every need is your responsibility. I can't fix the whole world. It's impossible. One of the greatest revelations you'll ever have is when you learn how to say no. You're called to, to minister to redheaded, blue-eyed girls. Go for it. Go get them. I'm not called to do that. You're called to minister to little blonde-headed boys. Go do that. I'm not called to do that. You got to know who you are and what you're called to do. You got to understand you're under command. I'm a soldier in the army of God. I'm bar mitzvah, which means son of commandment. I am under commandment. I'm a son of God, bar mitzvah. I've gone through my bar mitzvah. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. I'm under commandment. I've got orders. God's given me orders and I'm doing mine. Listen, I've got my stuff. I'm doing mine. I've got cathedral, not in my city, United Aid of Southeast Texas City Council, and I'm traveling. I've got my orders. I know what I'm doing. Now, what are you called to do? You got to figure that out. So you can't, you can't be need-oriented. You've got to be command-driven. Three, the demand of need will never exceed your supply when you're under command. The need will never exceed your supply because I'm under command. See, when I'm under command, I'm not need-oriented, then I can say no, no, no. And so my supply will never be overwhelmed. Burnout is when external demand exceeds internal supply. And some people burn out because they can't say no. Some people burn out because they're always trying to do everything for everybody. And you got to cut that out. You got and the men, uh, you know, the men, well, that's not true. Men and women are both the same. They're, they're both the same. Men are fixers. We want to fix everything. Women are nurturers. They want to nurture people. And so we, we, we constantly, we're trying to fix things or nurture and help and be the answer. And, and the guys, they want to be Mr. Superman and Mr. Hero. And, and we, we don't want to say no. We don't want to fail. And we want everybody to see us as Superman. But the reality is there's a Clark Kent in there. And he's human. And you can burn out. And so you have to understand this. You have to know and you have to see this. I'm under command. And when I live under command, the demand of need will never exceed my supply. I can say no. Number four, ministry is not felt, but it's obeyed when you're under command. When you're under command, now you're not need oriented. I'm just, oh, got a need here, got a need there. Can't say no, burn myself out. Oh, I feel this. Okay. No, 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 no. Look, ministry is command oriented. I'm under commandment. I preach when I don't feel like preaching. Now, I know you, you have a hard time believing that, but you, you, you get in the saddle even when you don't feel like it. You stand behind the pulpit even when you don't feel like it. 
You can come to a pulpit when all hell's breaking loose and your whole world is falling apart. And you stand there and you man up and you do it because you're under command. Serving in the church, serving the kingdom is not convenient. If you're looking for convenience, you're in the wrong group. Go join the Lions Club. Go join the Elks or the Mooses or whatever they are. You, if you're going, it's nothing convenient. If you're waiting for convenience, this is not the gig for you. And we need to start telling our kids this, the young people. All they see is, is the, 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 the glitz and the glitter. They don't get to see the nasty behind the curtain. And we need, to, we need to be honest with our kids and tell them this is not convenient. This is a fight. This is a battle. This is an army. You gotta soldier up. And you're gonna be in the trenches. And it's gonna cost you. And you're gonna pay. And you're gonna fight. And it's gonna be hard. But God said, I'll be right there with you through it all. It's time to be honest with our kids, amen? You gotta tell them the truth. Because if you don't, the first time a storm hits, they're gonna fall apart. We got a whole generation of kids now that they've got a trophy for everything. Everybody gets a trophy. Little John and little Susie, they never, they don't learn how to cope with win and losses. We give a trophy to everything. They graduate everything they, from kindergarten to first grade and second grade and fifth grade and twelfth grade and everything, ribbons and plaques and certificates. And we've got them so fluffed up that whenever hell comes, they can't deal with it because they don't, they're looking for their trophy. And God doesn't give trophies every day. They're waiting on God to give them a, you know, get a little boo-boo, give them a trophy. God don't give out them trophies like that. Smile at me so you don't yes. Yeah. Where am I? Jesus, how do we get into trophies? Okay. Ministry is not felt, but it's obeyed. Just do it. Say do it. Just do it. Just do it. You don't feel, you feel nothing. I don't always feel and I obey. The key to longevity and motivation is a command-driven ministry. Motivation. You'll lose your motivation if you're not under command. I'm under commandment. David said, I called, his, he called his soul to attention. He called his soul to attention. He just soldier up. No matter what you're going through, you soldier up. Call your soul to attention. We're talking about motivating the troops. Three things. Let's talk about fighting the battle well. Fighting the battle well. You gotta fight well. You can't just fight, you gotta fight well. You gotta fight. Fight well. Number one, with the prophetic word comes a command to fight. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. You gotta understand, you gotta fight with your promises. You gotta fight for your promises. Our response to God's prophetic promises is two things. Number one, trust in divine timing. And number two, fight for its fulfillment. Now you think that's a contradiction, but it's not. You have to pick up your divine or your prophetic promises and fight with them. You have to fight with them. God said, God said. But you also, in the fight, you're trusting divine timing. How many knows that there's a Kairos time that will interrupt your chronological time and it will happen when God wants it to happen? You gotta wait, you gotta be patient. But while you wait, you have to fight. You gotta fight with your prophetic promises. Why do we fight? Well, number one, 
it's a breakthrough for yourself, but also for others. You have to realize that you're a pioneer. And when you're fighting, you're breaking through for yourself and for those that follow behind you. Your point of breakthrough becomes their point of breakout. You can break through a hedge and you can make a way for others. You got to have a breakthrough. You got to, as I've said a thousand times, when you give purpose to suffering, excuse me, when you give purpose or meaning to suffering, it becomes tolerable. You can do this. When I suffer, I'm thinking, okay, Randy, just man up and get it done because you're doing this for other people. Your breakthrough becomes their breakout. Number two is for personal development. You're developing, you're growing. You're, you're, you're grow God is not, he, he's not like Santa Claus just come down and just give you everything you want when you want it. You've got to go through the process because you're growing your spiritual muscles. You're developing your character. Number three, there are strongholds that have to be demolished. Number four, you're connecting the generations for fulfillment. You understand that this is not a sprint. This is a relay. And so you're running a race with a baton and you understand you took it. I've got it. And you got to hand it off. I'm telling you, mark it down in my life, in your life. There are prophetic promises that will come to pass, but there are some that will not come to pass until the next generation. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You gotta think generational. I've got a baton. Some of those promises I'm holding on to, I believe I will pass it to my children, my children's children. Some will come to pass now, some will come to pass later, but I am the bridge between past and future. I've got to run my leg of the race. Some of you need to get on the track and run your leg of the race. You're sitting on the bench. And you're, the next generation is depending on you. There's a great cloud of witnesses right now that's watching us. And they're looking down and they're saying, run well, fight well, don't quit, don't give up. Hebrews talks about the patriarchs and who saw the fulfillment of their, their, their promise at a distance. But they were made complete with us. We completed them, they completed us. It's a relay race. You gotta run, you gotta run well. You can't quit. You say, but I ain't seen my promises come to pass. You gotta run well. You gotta run, you can't quit. The next generation is depending on it. Some will come to pass now, some will come to pass later. But you gotta pass that baton and do it well. Remember, you can die in your passivity. You can die. Listen, you say, well, I'm just not a fighter. You better learn how to fight. You say, I'm just more passive. You better shake that off. You can die in your passivity. You can sit there and do nothing and watch yourself die. You better get some gumption. You better get some mad in you. You better get some righteous indignation and stand up and say, you will not destroy my family. You will not take my city. You will not take my nation. You better fight. We need some Christians that know how to fight. You gotta stand up and fight for what you believe in. I don't care if you're six, two and fine. If you ain't got no spine, you're nothing. You better find a backbone. You better get up and fight the fight because hell is coming your way. Hell is coming your way. You better get up and fight. You can die in your passivity. Number two, recalling your prophecies will equip you for the battle. Recalling them. We're talking about fighting well. So number one, I'm under command. I got to fight. I ain't got no choice. Number two, you got to recall your prophecies. 
Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command and keep of the prophecies. Recall them so that you can fight well. Why would you recall your prophecies? Remember, remember them, rehearse them. Rewind the tape and play it again. Number one, because it brings clarity and new revelation. You listen to the word. God said this 10 years ago. What did he say to me? Clarity, revelation. Number two, it brings life, your life in alignment with the prophetic word. God said that he's going to do this. So I'm gonna posture myself. I'm gonna position myself. I'm gonna get myself ready so that I'm the present reality between past promises and future fulfillment. You've got to bring your life in alignment with that. Number three, it brings strength and determination. Sometimes when I get discouraged, I can go back to some of the previous prophecies made over this church and I can listen to them, I can read them, and I find strength from that. And I find determination to get up and fight again. Fight. Fight. Got to fight. It brings strength. You see, here's the thing I want you to grab. By recalling your prophecy, you will call back up the spirit of that prophecy. By recalling the prophecy, you call back up the spirit or the strength of the promise. God said this, when you call that word back up, and you recall, you recall, you replay, you recall it. With that prophetic word comes the spirit of the promise. And you go, oh, I get strength off of that. I get strength. There's been times in my ministry when I've wanted to, I've just beat my head against the wall. I just wanted to quit, give up, stop, go make money and just support missions. Just give up on it, let it go. But then you go back. You go back to your early days when God called you. I tell preachers all the time, go back to your early days when God called you. Go back to those early days when it was fresh and, and real to you and there was a, there was a season of innocence and, and there was, it's so intimate and God called you and he spoke to you and, and you find strength from that calling. You find determination from that calling. You remember he called me, he called me and you're able to get up and fight again. You've got to see that. Remember what we read in our text here to Timothy. He said, Timothy, my son, Timothy, my son, in your prophetic promises, in the words that God's given you, you need to hear the father's voice. The father's talking to you. He talks to you like a son, like a daughter. And when you go back and you recall those promises that he made to you, you're calling back up the spirit of that promise and you find strength and determination and the ability to fight again. You can do it, but you gotta get back. You gotta go back to those early days and that early calling, and you gotta get back to those prophetic promises. Recalling your promises will equip you for battle. And, and you gotta know this. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was faced with temptation, what did he do? If you be the son of God. If you be the son of God, if you be the son of God, turn the stone into bread, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. If you be the son of God, if you be, he's calling his identity into question. And what did Jesus do? He responded to that by simply saying, it is written. It is written. It is written. So he responded simply by saying, God said, God said, God said, if you be the son of God, God said, if you be, my father said, if you, my father said, listen, when, I, when hell comes against you and tries to call your 
When he comes against you and reminds you of your circumstances that are going against you, you remind him what your father said. You're going to lose your job, God said. You're going to die in your disease, God said. I'm going to destroy your marriage, God said. I'm going to kill your kids, God said. I'm going to destroy your church, God said. I'm going to destroy your nation, God said. It is written, it's in the word, the devil is a liar and puts nothing in writing. God tells the truth and puts his word in writing. He writes it in stone. I'm telling you guys, you've got to learn to say, God said. Yeah, God said. Oh, Jesus. Hate that clock. You all right? One more and then we'll go to closing. Number three, talking about fighting well. The greater the prophetic word, the greater the battle. Yeah. Now you're not going to, you don't like that one, but he, the father is talking to a son and he says, look, I'm putting you under commandment and I want you to remember your prophecies, call them up and I'm telling you this so you can fight the battle well. There's a fight coming. You got to fight well. Put it on the screen, guys. Fight well. My son, remember you play a role in this unfolding storyline of God's kingdom. You're part of a chain family. Number two, command. As a son, you live under commandment. Number three, prophecies. Live with a sense of destiny. Live with a sense of destiny. Don't waste your life watching TV. My God, get up and live life. Live with a sense of destiny. Number four, recalling. Your strength lies in the spirit of your prophecies. We've been called to fight and fight well. Look at it in the, in the passion. It says, with this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare. Use your prophecies as a weapon, as a weapon, as you wage a spiritual warfare. Think about that. There's a battle coming, but just know that the greater the prophecy, the greater the battle. Do you really think that the enemy is going to lay down on you and just watch you fulfill your destiny? Do you really think the devil's just going to lay down and watch this church do what God's called it to do? You think God's going to just, the devil's going to just lay down and let you do your business, do your family, do your church, do your community? You think he's going to do that? Listen, he's going to fight you. He's going to fight you. And I've learned the greater the calling that comes to my life, the more he fights and the meaner he gets. Listen, guys, listen to me. You want to be a threat to hell. The most insulting thing is for the enemy to let me do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. I want the devil to know I'm in Beaumont, Texas. I want the devil to know. He said to the sons of Sceva, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, you I've never heard of. That's the most insulting thing that the devil could say to you. I want him to know I'm here. I want him to feel threatened by me. I, listen, when he comes after me, when he hits me, I think, well, at least he knows I'm here. When he hits me, I think, well, he feels threatened by me. When he comes after me, I think, well, I must be doing something good. When he comes after me, I say, I'm a threat to hell. Guys, you want to be a threat. You want to back him up. You want the devil to take notice. You want that. You want hell to take notice of you. You want that. And the greater the prophecy, the greater the battle. You say, Pastor, I'm in it. Well, listen, stay in it because something good's coming. You say, Pastor, it's bad, I know, but good's coming. You say, it's intense, I get it, but the greater the battle, the greater the victory. I'm telling you, just hold on. He said in Passion, the Passion Bible, use your prophecies like a weapon. See, use your prophecy as a distomos, Greek, which means double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. You, renew, you know the teaching. The word of God is a double-edged sword. That double-edged sword is the word distomos. You know it. 
It means two mouths, one mouth on one side, your mouth on the other. God says yes, and you say amen. We know that. So just use it. Use your prophecies like a distomos and let hell know that you and God are in agreement. Two mouths. You and God are in agreement. You and God are in agreement. When the devil comes to you to tempt you and says, if you be, stop him and say, but God says, and I agree with him. Distomos. That's what happens when you pick up a prophetic word and you use it like a sword and you fight him with it. What you're doing is, is you're telling him, I'm bringing myself into alignment with heaven and I'm a present reality between the past promises and the future fulfillment. You're letting the devil know I'm in alignment with God. Second Corinthians 10, for although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We're not here fighting in the arm of the flesh, but you gotta fight with the arm of the Lord. To fight well, a spiritual fight requires a spiritual sword. You're trying to fight the devil in the flesh and you're gonna lose every time. You don't wanna pick a fight with him. You can't handle him. You've got to say to him, the Lord rebuke you. You gotta pick up your, your prophetic promises. You gotta pick up the word of the Lord and use it like a distomos and use it like a sword and say to him, God and I are like this. We're one on this thing. I'm in alignment with my, what my father said. And you're a liar and you're the father of liars and what you say won't come to pass. Me and God, we're just like that. Distomos. Stephen, come help me. You've got to come into alignment. You've got to fight well. And you fight well by fighting with a spiritual sword. You've got to understand that. So tell somebody, pick up a sword. Come on, turn and tell somebody, pick up a sword. Pick up a sword. Pick up a sword. You can die in your passivity. Three-dimensional view. Joshua 1.6. Joshua, remember the inheritance that was promised. See the land before you. I need you to lead the people into the land. So I need you to be, son, right now. Present reality. I need you to be. I need you to be. You've got to do this. It's hard. It's going to be hard. But you can do this. A three-dimensional view. Past prophecy. Present alignment. Future fulfillment. Bring yourself in alignment with God's word. Understand you play a role in the unfolding storyline of God's kingdom. And it's time for you to be. To be. It's time to be. I, I, I know that sounds simple, but it's not simplistic. To be. Faith without works is dead. America has enough gospel. It's bloated. It's, it's, it's bloated on gospel. It's bloated. We've got so much gospel in us. But how much are we being? Being the sons of God. Having a three-dimensional view of this coming year, we gotta be. Charmaine, come here, sis, and share the word the Lord gave you this morning. But you got to be this year. I need you to be this year. God needs you to be this year. The kingdom needs you to be this year. I need you to be. I need you to be. The, 
Romans chapter 8 says that all creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. Listen to me. You've got to be. It's time for your unveiling. You have to know that the kingdom waits for you. Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit icathedral.org.